Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 153 of Effect, the Swedish style. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And you know what? I'm going to try really hard to say that we haven't got a packed program uh, today. <laughs> We've got a great panel discussion, which is going to finish the episode today really good all about whether there is or isn't a swedish style but we've also got uh, some news from the wider world of gaming and um and that's about it basically <laughs> it is uh so uh so welcome to the first of our fortnightly episodes that is actually a bit shorter maybe Actually, that panel discussion is about an hour and 10 minutes long, so... Probably not, then, you know. (laughs) And we do normally end up chatting for about half an hour on World of Gaming stuff, don't we? So... Yes, yeah. Yes. So, Um, no, it's not very much shorter at all. Never mind. Never mind. Let's get on with it. Uh, I'm looking for my schedule now, which I appear to have lost, because I'm on the wrong Discord. (laughs) Uh, One thing I really did want to say this this week, this episode, is... um, a huge shout out for the great Yafet Koto, who very sadly died last week, or 10 days ago now, I think it was 16th of, of March, I think. Um, mm-hmm. A real pity, what a great stalwart of, uh, you know, of the movies. And I, I was watching a, a, a clip of him uh, being interviewed, and he was talking about um, Alien, and Alien being you know, a film made in... What, what it was, 1979, I think. 79, um, I think. That had a strong woman lead, had a black man in a strong, important position, you know. And Who was, wasn't the first to die, like yeah. subsequent black characters in subsequent films yeah, often turned out exactly. to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was, he was speaking so eloquently about it. And it was a really interesting little anecdote, he said. I can't remember where he was. He was somewhere with his daughters some mm. tourist attraction and he said he was here and this this bus turned up and off it poured uh lots and lots of japanese children and he obviously doesn't understand any japanese and they were chatting away um but the word he heard from them was alien 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 <laughs> and uh you know he was like okay this is this is just really great that you know all these people have uh, heard of alien have come across his work as a result of of that so i just wanted to say you know a, a just mark his passing, um, and and he was inspiration for your first Coriolis character. As he well, was, wasn't he? he still is because that yeah. character is still alive. Yafet Otho was completely based on him. Um, my image for him was a picture of Yafet Kote. and mm-hmm. interesting enough, there are two of them because my brother in that game uh, is also my brother in game, and we are twin brothers, so we are both in identical twins, identical yeah. twins. So there are two Yafet Kotos still running around in our Coriolis campaign. <laughs> um, but yeah when I we just, get back to the other one yes when we get back there yeah so um but yeah just wanted to mark uh you know mark mark his passing um i think that is a very worthy thing to do competition update so yes. we are two weeks away from announcing the winners of the competition mm. so we have a, a a really good selection of really exciting looking scenarios uh, we will be looking at them over the next week. We will then be deciding upon the winner. And this time in two weeks, we will be making the grand announcement of who has won the, uh, the FX first scenario competition. 
Yeah, and I think it might be worth saying I have acknowledged receipt of everybody's entry that they sent in to effect at uh, sorry feedback at effectpodcast.org. Org. Yep. So uh, if you haven't had an acknowledgement from me, uh, drop us a line and explain when you sent it, and I'll look for it. But I but I think I've acknowledged everybody's entry. But if if you feel you've sent something in and you've heard nothing from us, then um, then do just. Uh, Drop us another line. And yeah, we'll we want to make sure that we don't lose any in the cracks. So um, everybody's yeah, submitted. We, do, yeah. we want to get it. Yeah, obviously, get it, get it looked at. But yeah, so we've got a busy week going through. We the, have. Um, we've got lots of reading to do. We have. Um, but that's great. Uh, that's I'm really looking forward to it. Should be great fun. Excellent. So here we are, and we're only a couple of minutes into recording, and we're already into the world of gaming. The world of gaming. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is. Um, because we wrote it, the whole thing, <laughs> uh, is uh, the success of Alien in the IV, uh, ICV2 sort of retailer survey. Survey, yeah. Now, this is um, a bit weird. They uh, I, ICV2 is uh, news of the sort of geek industry generally, and they have for quite a few years now done a normally quarterly survey of what's hot, which they go out to... Retailers, so online retailers, I think, and um, and friendly local gaming stores, yeah, to find out what's hot. There aren't any real numbers involved. It's kind of like all anecdotal, so it's not proper science, but it's the uh, closest we have to a kind of state of the industry report. And always in the top five, uh, the, the number one is Dungeons and Dragons, of and the number two is Pathfinder, and I think. Um, Number three this quarter, through a three to five change over the quarters, but number three this quarter was Shadowrun, and number mm. four was it's, Alien. And then, which is was, cool. Wasn't number four? Wasn't number three Cyberpunk? Oh, it might have been Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they Number three was Cyberpunk, not not Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, number four. That's pretty good going, isn't it? I mean, especially considering. I mean. You know, I mean, Cyberpunk's a great game. Um, I haven't played the latest iteration of it yet, but, uh, you know, it's <laughs> nothing, like you say, nothing is going to beat Pathfinder in D&D. So, um, not for now. We anyway. can dream. We can, we can dream. Absolutely. It would be interesting. I mean, it's a pity that they don't do something slightly more statistics based on this, because it would be interesting to see if the gap between the role-playing game Bear Moths and everybody else is actually closing um, yeah. at all. Because you don't really get a sense of that. And obviously D&D is, is far and away the, you know, the number one, uh, you know, kid on town, kid on the block. Um, but it would be interesting And there to are, see of if... course, other sources. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you look at what's happening on Roll20, um, where Free League have about 2% of all the Roll20 games played, yeah, which feels true. a bit disappointing and suggests that maybe the gap isn't closing. But I haven't looked historically at those. You know, that is, that's actual numbers there. Mm. Slightly weird numbers in terms of these are what GMs are putting up and then what people are playing. So you, you can get numbers out of it, though, because yeah. it's a computer-run thing. So it works on numbers. Um and yeah, I'd look at you know maybe we should look at the history sometime when we haven't got anything else to talk about one episode and uh, <laughs> see if we can see whether a free league are closing the gap from their position of zero games played X years ago. Um, yes, yeah. I guess I guess you know back in the days when um, 
you know, our our podcast was the only English speaking free league podcast out there, and we were the first. Um, we that's were, not, yes. That's not that long ago. Four years ago. No. Um, just under is it four even years. four years ago? Four, I think so. I think it was twenty seventeen oh, we started. Yeah. I thought it was three years ago, but hell, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies. We were we were there first doing this podcast, talking about back then just the Coriolis um in the, fir- in the first instance, yeah. Um, um but yes, yeah, so I think you know it, it, it's great. I mean, you know, we've talked about Alien before, um a lot, ad nauseum, some people might say, but it's it, it's great to see it doing so well. Um, especially because it's got our words in it and uh, our well, that, names. That too, that too. That's the course. main reason why. <laughs> well, partly. Per- that's my main personal reason. I think I was chatting to somebody online the other day, and um, again, it was an opportunity just to make the point that I think one of the things that I love about Alien so much is it's brought so many new players to role-playing games. And yes. We've said, again, we've said this before, but it, it's a great gateway game for those people who've never ever in their lives even thought about playing a role-playing game, but they love Alien. So in they come. And hopefully, you know, that, that builds a, a lifelong hobby for them in Alien and lots of other games as well. So it's great. I mean, you know, anything that expands the, you know, the customer base, the user base, um, the player base for role-playing games is a good thing in my book. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, is a Solomon a Solomon Vale? That's not what I meant Solemn, to say. Solemn Vale. Solemn Vale uh, going to expand the user base, or is that one that's going to convert existing role players? Well, I should explain. Solemn Vale is a Kickstarter lovely. that caught our eye, and as you say, it looks gorgeous, doesn't it? I mean, so it look again. It's another of those games that looks lovely. It actually, it's got um. Uh, it's kind of it's a bit funny for me because I was looking through it on the Kickstarter and the some of the images, some of the feel as you go through it feels, um, you know, it's kind of folk horror-y, but it didn't feel kind of extreme in that. And then as I as I kept going down, suddenly this picture leapt out, jumped me by the throat, and said, "No, we're like cult. This is like cult, really." <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, okay, that was a bit of a kind of slightly shocking moment. Uh, but it looks great. The one comment I had from reading the Kickstarter stuff was it didn't really give me a sense of what's under the hood, the actual mechanics of it. But mm-hmm. um, having had an opportunity to have a peek at the uh, 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 some of the rules, that looks that looks quite good too. I think. It's and I believe if, legs. if our listeners want to get a peek, they should join the Facebook group, which is dedicated to it. And I think there are links there to yeah. beta versions of the rules. So uh, yeah, it it. You know, it's a market that is, or a genre that is is quite full, quite busy now. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of big names in there that are are obviously taking up a lot of the space. You know, Cthulhu, Cult, Vampire, um, you know, Verson even now as well in a slightly in a mm-hmm. slightly different different um, different perspective. So it's it's uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the vibe around you know, a quaint English village and it's about all the strange things that go on in a quaint English village. It's actually quite cool. I like I like that. It's got a it's almost got a um what is it, hot fuzz kind of feel to it. Um, yeah. Which obviously and isn't also, cult, you know. But it's uh So yeah. it's coming out of an American company, but it looks like most of the creatives behind it are UK based. So Matthew Dawkins is one of the big names behind it. Yeah. Um 
And I feel it may well resonate with us Brits because it, it probably... Do you remember all the, the kids' um, kind of horror program like Children of the Stones that we used to watch in the 70s? Yeah, yeah, very much so. m- Which might even be too scary for TV now in, in certain ways while, while also being possibly quite tame if we're if we go back and rewatch them but that's the vibe that it kind of gave me and also and we mentioned this actually in the swedish style talk they they talk about how their fantasy fiction um features a lot of alan garner um yeah and did you know again that's very much so um, most of the alan garner books are set around a village on orderly edge um so again i feel it speaks to us as an audience maybe more than the wider international audience but it looks possibly. I mean, it, it gorgeous. is gorgeous. It, it's, it's definitely setting it in a in a, uh, a in a setting in an area that is naturally very familiar to us straight away. You know, we, yeah. don't, we don't have to think about it because we know what that kind of sleepy English village in English rural village. You know, we know what it's like, and we know actually the reason the game is going to be interesting is because some of those villages are a bit like that sometimes. There are stories and myths and, um, you know, slight sort of strange local quirks that only apply to very, very localised areas, but are yeah. very characterful. Um, but yeah, it does look, it looks, it does look lovely. Um, I haven't backed it yet. I, it's just one of those, again, you know what I'm like, I, I'd say, no, I'm not going to back that. And then I slowly convince myself to back it. Um, I'm I'm on that journey at the moment. I haven't reached the point of back it yet, but it's it's possible I might. I mean, there is 17 days. There are 17 days left to go at the point of recording, and this is Friday the 26th of March. So you've got three weeks, uh, two weeks after you know from the point that you're listening to this, probably if you listen to this soon after we bring the episode out. Well, I think I'm not going to back it because I'm poor and I'm not working. And so I've got to save my pennies. But I hope somebody yeah. I know backs it. This isn't a subtle hint that you should back it. <laughs> I think one or more of our patrons will be backing it. And I hope to get to play it at least once, I think. Uh, and I'll always regret not getting some of those lovely, lovely designed uh, books. They look gorgeous. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, there, there are three different covers you can get. There's a standard cover, which has got a... Uh, image of a, of a of a woman against a sort of multicolored sort of foresty background, and then the other two, the standard hardcover is a it's actually really it's a nice just really stark image um, on a pink background, which sounds maybe a bit uh, a bit a bit weird, but have a look at it. Go on to Kickstarter and have a look. Um, it looks pink lovely. is no longer weird uh, since Merc Boy. Uh, pink and bright acid yellow and uh, club. Uh, acid house pink as well <clears throat> are going to be all over role playing games for the next few years I reckon yeah yeah. I but mean I don't think they're going to be on Tales of the Old West when we produce that I don't think that's no. kind of the vibe I'm looking for there yeah, but, won't uh, be the vibe for Tales of the Old West but, it, but it's a good vibe to have if if it at all fits your game and mm. uh, I think it does I was even I, uh, there was a gorgeous set uh, it's, a di- it's a D6 dice ball game isn't it yeah I understand. it is yeah and there was a lovely set of uh, bright pink dice there, and I, went, oh, I thought I'd get those as an add-on. And that's that is the point actually when I went. That's why I'm not going to bid this because I want some of these add-ons, and I'd spend too much money. That I can't 
Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. Yeah. Again. Again. For me, I think I, I'm increasingly, um, I'm increasingly conscious that I back quite a lot of games <laughs> without ever thinking I'm ever likely to play them, and this would be one of those because it would probably yes. go on the queue behind Cult and behind Troubleshooters and behind quite a lot of other stuff that I want to do. So. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I might. Yeah. I might be. I might be. I might be convinced to back it. <laughs> well, there's there's two weeks to think about it. But if you haven't seen it, check out the Solemn Vale uh, Kickstarter. Yeah. We will put links to it in our show notes, as we always do. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I'm going to link to and just talk very briefly about, because I'm really excited about it, but maybe nobody else is. Um, <laughs> some months ago, I there I talked about there being a Feng Shui adventure subscription service. So they. Uh, Atlas Games, who make uh, Feng Shui, for those of you who you did, don't you, speak Cantonese. You, you did mention <laughs> Feng Shui. I mean, you don't speak Cantonese, do you, Matthew? I mean, come on. That's a huge pretension. You're saying, because you say Feng Shui, you're, you're, you're a fluent Cantonese speaker. <laughs> I don't think so, somehow. No, I'm not. I'm not. But no. anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Getting off the point here. The point is, last year they said point. we want 300 subscribers minimum by the end of January or something uh, to do this. They didn't get 300 subscribers, but they got enough to do it. And I got the first PDF, which is called Burning Dragon. No. And it looks like a great adventure. And um, I said to everybody in the Discord, who wants to play a game of this? And... Stony silence was the reply, <laughs> but um, I'd quite like to play. Feng yeah, Shui I think we should again. get. We should do a Feng Shui I, at some point. I, so and I will is this it. is this um, is this a new edition of Feng Shui from the one that we played back in? Yes. The day? So yeah. this is a Feng Shui two, um, mm. as they call it. So now you're saying uh, Feng Shui, and I'm saying Feng Shui. <laughs> yeah. No, I did that on purpose. I thought at least one of us has to say Feng Shui, and, and since you said it, I went. I won't bother being pretentious. Uh, so this is Feng Shui 2, um, which personally, I don't think... It, I, uh, Robin Dawes worked very hard to simplify it. Mm, I'm not convinced I don't prefer the first edition, but I'll live with the simple, uh, is, this is simple it, version. Is it much simpler, the second version? Well, um, uh, so a couple, a couple of the examples... So was, was Robin uh, successful in his attempt, I guess is the question. Yes, yes, yeah, he was. So one of the things he really wanted to get rid of was homework and character generation. So there were always archetypes, but you could actually just take the archetype off the page, give it a name, give it a melodramatic dramatic hook, and then play it. There are yeah. no other choices you need to make. Whereas back in, in one, mm -hmm. there was a little bit of homework you had to do. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, uh, so it's not I, not quite as gamey as it used to be, but um, mm. it's fine, and I will happily run a game. And this uh, Burning Dragon is set at a sort of Mongolian version of the Burning Burning Man Festival, and there's all sorts of shenanigans going uh, on. Okay, it looks like it's um, it's quite a lot of adventure. I think it would be a couple of uh, well, if you were streaming it, it would be probably two, three, four sessions. I right, reckon. okay. It would be a couple of face-to-face -face games, I think. Six or eight hours. Yeah, yeah, I reckon so. Cool. Yeah, I love I love playing Feng Shui back in the day. Um, that was a really good, fun game. And uh, yeah, you ran it really well. So I'd be, I'd be up for some more Feng Shui, for sure. 
Excellent. Jolly good. We'll 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 fix a date and we'll do a stream of it or something. <clears throat> Sounds good. Um finally, uh and this links into next week, pre-orders are out for the next part of the enormous Simbaroom campaign. Uh and it's called Al no, you might have to help me with the Alberator. Alberator, that's haunted right. Waste. Yep. Alberator, yeah, that's right. Alberator's right. Thank God for that. I yeah. said it right. Um, there's something that slightly pisses me off with other streamers and um, and podcasters and things like that. All the different versions of Simbaroom. And surely Simbaroom is how it's pronounced. Yeah, that's that's how I've always pronounced it. And obviously I'm I'm right. So. There's a lot of people who put the emphasis on the second syllable, so it's Simbaroom. Yeah. Uh, and now I've seen the Simba Realms and Sim- all sorts of stuff like Rum. that. Yeah, no, Simba. Maybe, maybe we should maybe we should ask Matthias Jonsson. Well, we can ask him next week. Yeah, of course. <laughs> what <laughs> Matthias will say because we've asked him about rules and stuff like that before, and he always says it's whatever you want it to be. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. He might say that about pronouncing the name as well. So, but, uh, so actually, then we don't need to bother interviewing him. Then we just we just make it up ourselves. So, thanks, Matthias, for uh, volunteering to join us. But we don't need you. We can just make it up for you. That's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and uh, well, yes, so, so we already talked. So there's uh, that, that's a that pre-order. Pre- is it open? We'll already? put links to it on the page. Is there has anything it, else we need to say about it? Has it opened already? Is it up and up and running now? The pre-order. It's up and running now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. And yeah. people will get an early beta PDF as soon as that's done if they pre-order now. Yeah. Cool. It's got lovely Martin Grip artwork on the page. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. Uh, but um, um, Matthias Johnson-Hack is going to join us next week. Or ne- not next week. In a, two weeks' in time. Two weeks' time yep. in our next episode. And in fact, I think we might even live stream that. So we'll put a note out on the socials yeah. and you yeah. can watch the interview live. Because he's comfortable about talking to us now. He's not, you know, He doesn't feel that we're going to need to record it and then chop bits out where he... Re- didn't say the wrong thing or, or, the right thing. <laughs> or maybe there just isn't a wrong thing to say about Simba. Yeah. So what we need and to do he, is what we need to do is get him talking about everything else then in the interview. See what we can yes. see what we can weedle out of him. Well I think by then there may be some other Simba Room news that we'll want to talk about as well. Yeah. Mm. Now cool. um the reason I was talking about next week is not just because we're talking to Matthias, and that's a nice segue from Alberator, The Haunted Waste. Um, I was talking about next week because, Dave, it might actually be time for you to say goodbye. It is. So we, we had the um, interview planned for this episode, talking about the Swedish style of RPG gaming. Is there such a thing? Sadly, on the day, I was unwell, so I didn't join the conversation. What was it is... that you'd eaten that lunchtime? That's what I want to know. Well, if that's not too many details already. That the sort of <laughs> um, so it. I was. Uh, I was. <laughs> this is just going a bit into our, our personal. So on on a Sunday, I always cook Sunday lunch, and so I was mm-hmm. cooking Sunday lunch. We always have it very late, and we always go for long walks and stuff beforehand. So I was starving at about two o'clock, and whilst I was cooking, I dipped into a old pot of anchovies that we had Ooh. in the fridge and I, fi- I finished it off, but it'd been in there for quite a while. And I, I suspect it was those that <laughs> I think it probably was. So, uh, yeah. So very sadly, <laughs> I wasn't up for, um, 
inflicting myself on everybody else. So no. <laughs> moving swiftly on. If you, Matt, if you want, you can edit this bit out of the. the final <laughs> Would you episode. like me to? Because I kind of. <laughs> at least our uh, premium. Um, uh, we'll get uh, to hear uh, this. Patrons yeah. will get to hear this harvest story. Lucky, lucky them, hey. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, it was a great pity that I missed the conversation, um, but it sounds like you had a fabulous, fabulous chat. Enjoy the rest of the show, everybody, and um, yeah, goodbye. May the icons bless your adventures from me. I'm here with, with well, I'm honoured to be here with three amazing people, uh, two uh, uh Eminence Gris of the Swedish uh, gaming industry and historian of gaming and RPGs around the world. Uh, let's start with you, Shannon. Uh, you're the historian here. Um, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name's Shannon Applecline, and I've written Designers and Dragons, which is currently a four and a half book history of the role playing industry. Um, covers uh, it decade by decade, 70s, 80s, 90s, and odd odds. And in the last year or so, I've been starting to work on the Tins, also lost histories. And so the idea is to talk about all of the companies in the industry. And um, one of the few foreign countries that I hid in the original books was Sweden, because they had some of the first uh, role-playing games out in English language, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And I've also been hanging them extensively in the tens because we have so many very successful Swedish uh, companies getting out onto the international scene. Excellent. And you used to work for Chaosium once upon a time? I did. For two years, 96 to 98 or so, I worked for uh, Chaosium. It was during the CCG craze. So we had these wild successes. Uh, we were working on some international uh, work of our own, getting some uh, Italian designers involved with Glorantha. And uh, then the whole CCG market crashed. We laid off all of our staff, uh, and I decided I did not want to be the only one taking uh, any pay at the company because it was stressing me out. But it was two wonderful years. Uh, I got to do some line editing on Call of Cthulhu with the uh, late, great Lynn Willis. And I got to sit in Greg Stafford's office and talk to him about Glorantha on a weekly basis. That sounds pretty perfect to me. And um, and I think we're going to do this in order of seniority. Uh, so, so Anders, uh, yes. <laughs> Anders Blix, will you will you tell us a little bit about your long history yeah. in gaming? <laughs> I, I, I jokingly refer to myself as the, the Tom Bombadil of the Swedish gaming industry. I started uh, playing in 1977 at the first gaming convention in Sweden called Gothcon. And I was Dungeons and Dragons. I had been a war gamer before that. And I was like, wow, this is it. So <clears throat> I was from day one, I was completely hooked on, on role-playing games. Uh, However, I quickly realized that, that I'm more into science fiction than, than fantasy. So I, I switched from Dungeons and Dragons to Traveler. Uh, then I started uh, designing stuff myself. And since I've had the fortunate, I've been fortunate enough to live in the United States as a teenager, I'm not afraid of writing in English. So I started, I sent things to, to GDW and uh, through their magazine, General Travel Safe Society. Mm-hmm. And they bought, started off there with, with Lauren Weisman, who sadly left us some years ago. Uh, he was very positive that he could get a foreigner to write such clear and crisp articles for him. 
So I worked for freelance for GDW while doing my uh, university studies. Uh, and then I, in 1985, I graduated with a, with a degree in, in political science and macroeconomics, which turned out to be very useful because my, I had established a reputation in, in, in Swedish gaming fandom and a convention organizer and fanzine production and so on. So I was hired as the first game designer at Target Games in, in, the, in the spring of 1985, which was the start of the Swedish role playing. Well, actually, it had started one year earlier in 1984. But where, in 1985, the company was kind of desperate. We need someone who can hand produce. Uh, so they hired me, and I worked there for four years. I developed the, the, the Drucker and the Mourner fantasy line, the mutant, post-Holocaust, Saini, whatever. <laughs> how do you, I don't know how to describe it, really. Uh, we did uh, uh, Merpro playing in, in Swedish edition, Star Wars D6 Swedish edition, and so on. And uh, well, uh, after four years, I, I felt like it's, I'm getting, I was turning 30. I was thinking, I was dating a lady and I was thinking, yeah, maybe I should settle down. <laughs> I switched to working for the Swedish government and, and continued freelancing for, for various companies during the 90s, noughties uh, and 10s. Um, during the 90s, I did a lot of stuff for, for Iron Crown. Uh, Merp in English. Um, however, they crashed, so that mm -hmm. was sad because I'm a Tolkien fan. I loved writing those things. And uh, then I, I worked a lot with small Swedish publishers. And then we had, I, I have a blog, and I wrote about 10 years ago that, yeah, we used to have a fantastic golden era, and it's all gone, and it's not going to come back. I was wrong. I was dead <laughs> wrong. And I'm very happy I was dead wrong. And, and because of things I couldn't predict, and that is kickstarting and print on demand. Mm. Suddenly things became possible because I was, had been working with, with uh, play, the game production in the 1990s. And it was, you had to cough off a lot of money in, in advance. And that was very difficult. Suddenly you could get this money in advance and you could prepare a print run, uh, everything. So, and then about uh, one or two years ago, I was contacted by Eloso for the, they're going to make the Swedish Colofulo, Swedish request. And they wanted me to join the team. And, and I was in a situation where I had been working as a tech writer, consulting tech writer, and I was thoroughly fed up with uh, IT companies. The, the, <laughs> I think Magnus knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so I was feeling like, yeah, it's time for me to, to retire from my, my regular career and start lifting my pension and augment my earnings by doing role-playing stuff. Okay. So right now I'm working on, on Swedish uh, Call of Thulu, Swedish RuneQuest, and a few other Swedish games. So This is very exciting to hear about Swedish RuneQuest. I, I don't talk much about RuneQuest on our show because we're, we're kind of about the Free League games, yeah. but... Uh, the one game I play face, well, I haven't played now for over a year, yeah. face to face, but with my face to face group, yeah. will be uh, a RuneQuest uh, yeah. campaign with. Yeah. Um, uh, I gladly return to that because we are doing Call of Cthulhu, localizing it to Sweden, yeah. and we will also localize RuneQuest 
for the Swedish market. So I'll be happy to talk about that later. Well, maybe we should invite you back and we could do a whole show about that at some later <laughs> stage. <laughs> be I'd be happy to do that. Certainly, Excellent. I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> and finally, Magnus, uh, we've met you before. You've been on the show uh, before, Magnus, but can you just give us, for any new listeners, uh, a little potted biography? First, I would like to to uh, to say that uh, Anders' uh, history is uh, far deeper than he could uh, convey in such a short uh, time. He also, during this time, he also published a couple of role playing games and, and uh, explored the D twenty license and, and uh, did a lot of things. So he's been active very very long, and 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 uh, a figure that is very important to the Swedish uh, style. Um, some of what he talked about is something that we will return to. Me myself, I'm uh, I'm one of these uh, young people who uh, were drawn into the the hobby uh, by uh, the work of Anders and, and uh, others uh, at Target Games at the time. I started in 1982 with Drakrak the Mourner and uh, played a lot. I've always been a writer, so in 1989 I started working for uh, Arthur Games. Uh, wrote a few adventures for them. Uh, and then I wrote uh, for Anders, the Gondor supplement, and I uh, worked on some other stuff. Uh, the big thing that I did was uh, write the first edition of Mutant Chronicles for Target Games, of course. I did the uh, <clears throat> the uh, I did the uh, second edition of Cult uh, with uh, mixed success, uh, but uh, I've since. So the second edition is that. The most recent no, edition. No, no, no. The, 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 no there was the, a, right. Yeah, okay, the most yeah. recent edition, which I'm working with now, uh, is the fourth edition. So uh, you could probably bring me and Peter Nalo on to talk about cult if you'd like to, uh, or you could just exclude me and, and just add Peter. <laughs> now it, the cult is 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 very interesting from a from a different perspective, of course. But I think in in English we've had two versions yes. possibly. Yes. Uh, yeah. The third was a, a, from a French company called uh, uh, Shannon. Can probably help me here. Uh, no, Gemini was was that the company? Circle Seven M. Oh, okay. Uh, and they they did uh, the the, cor the corals and stuff like that. But uh, mo most people will, uh, uh, if they have heard of me at all, they will have heard of me because I wrote the Bitter Reach, uh, the mm -hmm. latest big book for the uh, Forbidden Lands uh, role playing game. Uh, after that, and many people, of course, will have read your Warhammer Fantasy roleplay uh, blog. Yeah, about blog, the, yeah. the city of Altov. And as uh, Matt knows now, uh, I am also one of the contributors to the Altov book for Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, uh, which will be released sometime this year. Uh, I'm not at large to to discuss uh, uh, <laughs> dates and stuff. We'll get in touch with uh, with with them. Um, yeah, and ask them and, about and that. Yeah, but, then we'll invite you back on, and we can talk about yeah, that. Well. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a delight to work with them, and uh, I've, I've done some cult things as well. But uh, why I am uh, basically why I asked you this question, the, the the question about the Swedish style, is also because I run uh, um, the Swedish version of RPG Net. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's called rollspill.nu. And I uh, sort of got in my head to, to figure out why are English people doing uh, podcasts about Swedish games? Uh, you're not the only one. 
Matt or Dave? No, 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 we're not. We're not. Um, so I, I was sort of like figuring out why. And then I asked, uh, since I have a, a community of, of people around me uh, who design games and who like to talk about games, I just asked them and, and then all the questions, uh, the question didn't yield that many uh, answers that I could just say, oh, okay, that's it. Uh, so I thought I would ask someone who was outside of Sweden. And, uh, and that's, that's us. you. Right. Okay. Really good. And that's why we got Shannon on board because uh, I'm not sure we know the answer. (laughs) I guess guess the first question we're going to, maybe the only question in a way uh, that we're answering, is there such a thing as a Swedish style? Um, Uh, And then if if we can define that there is, we mm. might start talking about what its qualities are and and where it's going. Um, uh, Is it in danger? I mean, you know, it's come about because loads of Swedish companies are producing stuff for the English market. Mm. Um, I guess Mutant was first. Uh, but first of all, let's quickly, I mean, you've given us already, Anders, just by telling us about your career, you've given us a pretty good rundown of uh, the history of, of gaming in mm. in Sweden. I'm um, just thinking, is there anything we've missed out? And should we talk about uh, the four companies that... Um, and, uh, I- if you're going to talk about the Swedish style, I would like to go back to the beginning, you know, when the first acorn fell to the ground. Okay, let's start there. Uh, yeah. Since you were because, there. <laughs> because it, this is a very important thing. That is, Swedish popular culture is very unlike British or American popular culture. And when we started working with role playing games in the late 70s, early 80s, we had to. We had. The, we were immersed in the, in the Swedish kind of gaming paradigm, which is very unlike what what you see in in the United States. And Dungeons and Dragons is very un-Swedish, and it has to do with uh, Swedes are extreme team workers, probably among the best uh, group because we are very un unprestigious. <laughs> Uh, we, we are willing to work closely for the better of the for the best of the group without divas, uh, and that's why Sweden, for instance, has extremely successful engineering teams like Saab fighter aircraft, uh, Scania trucks, Ericsson telecommunication systems. Swedes are very good at designing complex, good solutions. That's one issue. The other issue is that this has to do with the superhero. Comics, I would say. Uh, American superheroes, we had Silver Age Superman and Silver Age Batman when I was a kid. But the quintessential Swedish superhero is called the Phantom, the ghost that walks, which started off by Lee Falk, but was kind of taken over by Swedish publishers in the 1970s. Uh, and, and the Phantom is, is a very, he is a very human superhero. He is immensely strong and sturdy, but he's still a human. And he has a very kind of credible moral flame inside him. Uh, I mean, uh, he is like Dudley do right or something like that, but there's also darkness in him. And so when we designed Swedish role-playing games in the beginning, we had to kind of take into account 
what Swedish gamers knew, what they related to, what they enjoyed. The same thing goes for for um, fantasy, because in the nineteen seventies, if you walked into a Swedish library, you would find things like Tolkien, of course, and The Hobbit was immensely popular in Sweden. Alan Garner, which is very British, mm-hmm. uh, Ursula Le Guin. And uh, Joy Chant, that is very kind of European style, whereas you would not find Swedish translations of, of Jack Vance or Robert E. Howard. They just did not exist. Mm. So Swedes, and also the archetypical Swedish fantasy novel is called The Long Ships in English. Uh, it's, it's a Viking adventure story, very long, low-key fantasy there are people making predictions and and uh, doing very strange things, but generally, it's extremely funny, and and it was like the, you had to read it in school. It was a modern classic. So in the 19, when I went to school in the nineteen seventies, I had to read Long Ships, which I did and enjoyed. So we started off from a, a perspective with these kind of down to earth heroes, team working. The world is gritty. Uh, you have to deal with other people. Dungeons are not interesting. Uh, you're, you move in a social context. Unlike the Americans, but like you British, we have a history to look back on. We can look back to the Middle Ages and the Viking Ages and, and be inspired by them. Uh, while Whereas Dungeons and Dragons is more inspired by cowboy movies i see as i see i'm pleased you said that because that yeah let's ask shannon about this because i i've long had a theory um and only you know what while creating our own western themed game at the moment i just realized that that D &D, and to an extent traveler as well Mm. they're not actually fantasy or science fiction they're all of them cowboys and the concept that exists in gaming has done for some years of the murder hobo I suddenly mm. realized, you know, that is actually almost the history of the Wild West. And, you know, some, mm. somebody murders somebody in some town, goes mm. to the next town and gets voted in the sheriff, like uh, mm. um, their, their tombstone mm. and things like that. Uh, do you think as an American, um, uh, do, do, you, do you want to argue that that's not the case with uh, D&D? Um, maybe. Uh, the the biggest uh, sources for D and D, at least according to Gygax, were swords and sorcery. So uh, the Howard that Anders mentioned, uh, Michael Moorcock, uh, and uh, John Jakes. A, a lot of these uh, uh, people that were writing about these, um, you know, these sturdy barbarians and uh, these uh, awful magicians that they were fighting. And so I, I think uh, to address that question, you have to say, are swords and sorceries really Western? Mm. And that's, that's a, a whole larger question, I think. And I think maybe uh, I've been reading back through uh, the Conan comics recently, and uh, they're usually about, you know, a stranger comes to town. I mean, that's all, all stories to a certain extent, but, but really the Westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes he's going to steal something, you know, as if... In the bank. Uh, and times he has to do some justice as if he were the uh, sheriff. So um, I would say technically, sports and history, but you know, realistically, 
maybe I could see how this might be right in there. Uh, it's 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 a point that Anders and Shannon are making that that's very interesting that I hadn't thought about before. Uh, is that uh, Anders will will nod? I think that when I say uh, how the West was won and Bonanza, they were the. Mm-hmm premier adventure shows on Swedish television when when I was growing up. Seb McKeon, the gritty uh, frontier man in, in all leathers and, and a limp and, and, mm. and hard. And, and then we had the, mm. the Cartwright brothers who were like, wow, flamboyant and, and bam, bam. So, so the Western um, influence, the Wild West influence on, on what we thought of as uh, entertainment is was very strong in Sweden at the time. Mm. And uh, I also find it interesting that I mentioned The Phantom since this is my only published uh, uh, comic script is for The Phantom, actually. Uh, right. And one thing that we enjoyed very much uh, during the 70s and during the 80s uh, was The Phantom's historical adventures. They yeah. were the most yeah. interesting when the Phantom took on a, a, a hat uh, and a rapier mm-hmm. and went to the Notre Dame and, and uh, went to his secret lair. And then he, he did all these kinds of adventures involving historical yeah. people. And it was all very strange and very, not fantasy, but very mysterious. And that yeah. was very interesting. So what mm-hmm. my order when I got to test write my, my Phantom script was don't do any historicals because it's it's too easy. It's, it's too, uh, mm-hmm. we don't need any more of that because they were so popular mm-hmm. that they created historical adventures that were mm-hmm. sort of like what Shannon is talking about, the Conan mm-hmm. adventures. But for us, that was mm-hmm. the Phantom who did the, these adventures. Mm-hmm. And, and he, 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 the Phantom had a very Swedish code of, of honor. It, it res- resonated excellently with our society. So we'll Shannon, come back to that. But uh, yeah. Shannon, yeah, you, you wanted to make a point. Yeah, the other thing that I found interesting about what Anders said is he said that um, when the Swedish uh, role-playing industry got started, it adopted Swedish characteristics like uh, cooperation, community good, you know, working together. And what that struck me as a historian looking at the uh, whole industry is that's kind of where American and all the English language uh, uh, designs went in the eighties. It sounds like the seventies was when you had this old school role-playing where, uh, you know, the thief was going to steal from the paladin in the party. The assassin was going to stab someone in the back. Everyone was really working against each other. And, then in the 80s, that kind of went away as the sword and sorcery uh, shifted over to uh, Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, Dragonland was the, the yeah. big pivot point here. And so it almost sounds from what Andrew said that the Swedish role-playing industry had kind of skipped this whole old school yeah. fra- uh, phase. It went from about 74 to 84 mm. and, you know, starting with Drakarok Demoner mm. in 82, got ahead of the mm. English language and said, hey, we're going to mm. do, you know, cooperative fantasy mm. instead. We are uh, we are rediscovering the the uh, 70s uh, role playing games in Sweden now, or we have been since uh, uh, third edition Dungeons and Dragons was accepted, and actually fourth edition brought a lot of Swedish gamers into Dungeons and Dragons uh, because it was so clearly a gamist game, uh, mm-hmm. and so 
a lot of the talk now in Sweden is about old school, uh, what came before Drakrottemoner, what came before that. Uh, and that's interesting, Shannon, that you, you, you take that as a point, because uh, we are now sort of discovering what you already went through. <laughs> uh, we started <laughs> ahead of you, but now we are sort of back, <laughs> doubling back mm. behind you and so oh this this yeah. with Merkborg for example oh. yes well I was I was about to say Merkborg mm. is a is a very good example of that and every time I've played it my my players have been attacking each other and saying it's not me it's just my character I've got to do it um I mean we're relishing you know I think everybody's relished that but that mm. that's interesting that that so of course uh Draka Ochtmana um is now I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it's effectively a version of RuneQuest through Magic World, which itself was the de identified version of the Elric system. Uh, and I can see uh, both of you have got something to say. Uh, yeah. Andrew, you go first. <laughs> yeah, uh, it started with Magic World, which yeah. was Chaosium's attempt of making a generic fantasy role-playing game in the vein of RuneQuest, mm -hmm. simplified RuneQuest. Uh, Target Games bought a uh, Swedish license, translated it in 1982 in the so-called first blue box, which was a shoddy translation. Uh, in 1984, uh, they let a competent guy called Oke Eldberg rework the whole thing, issued the black box, which is actually mainly green, rather than using. <laughs> Uh, and that is very, very basic role-playing, uh, you know, the seven characteristics, percentage skills, and so on, and so on. Uh, so, and then I came into the game in 1985, and I was a RuneQuest fan, I was a Traveler fan, uh, and I started to develop stuff for, for us, for our markets, expansion modules, the expert edition, which was... Uh, a large extra, extra everything, you know, like going into to, to Burger King and say, I want extra everything. <laughs> so that's kind of where it walked away the Swedish way. But can I, I just ask, uh, there is a point there with, with RuneQuest um, yeah. and, and I guess the Chaosium system generally. Yeah. Shannon, would you agree that Anders talked earlier on about uh, how Swedes are better at teamwork and building together for the better of the community. Mm. And I am aware, of course, that early RuneQuest players in America were kind of, there was one famous group called the Farmers Collective, wasn't there? Uh, so do you think RuneQuest players were more like Swedish players, even in America? I don't want to paint every American as a murder hobo. <laughs> yeah. Um well, if you look at the uh, earliest RuneQuest uh, supplements, uh, uh, the adventures were Ballister's Barracks, where you went into a rune and you looted it. Uh, there was the Big Rubble, where you went into big runes and looted them. And so I'd say from its very start, RuneQuest was probably the same play style as D&D, but a couple of years on, uh, you started getting some really world-building mm. supplements. Uh, Cults of Prex was the first big one, which uh, detailed gods in a way that no mm. one had before. Mm. Then you started getting some adventures where they weren't just about mm. murder hoboing. 
Borderlands, I think, is one of the very interesting ones where you're doing uh, work for Duke Rouse. And one of the ones that I remember most from playing myself was having to climb up some mountains to uh, steal some eggs from a condor or something. <laughs> I, I guess that's still technically looting, but it was much more yeah. story oriented. So maybe not from the start, but I'd mm -hmm. say pretty quickly, the Seattle Farmers Collective that you mentioned, uh, ironically, about uh, half the people running uh, Chaosium are, are from it at this point. Um, they were more in the 90s, and so they were, again, later oh, in the right. evolution. Okay. But, but they were very much about cooperative play. And in fact, one of their biggest um, influences was Viking sagas. Yeah. So, <laughs> Right, Magnus, come, um, uh, come back to you. Uh, uh, lest we uh, get dug into the, the old, old, old history that Anders is, is, is a part of, and uh, uh, me as well, sort of. I'd like mm -hmm. to mention that Fred Malberg, who ran Target Games, is actually, mm -hmm. uh, Anders, you have to help me, but I think he's credited in the second or first edition of Call of Cthulhu. I think, I, I think so, because he went over to, to San Francisco when he was a young man and worked for Chaosium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and he developed some sort of friendship with with uh, Greg. So, so, so that's so, so that's that's the chaos and connection is through Frederick yeah. Malberg, and and uh, you will also recognize Frederick Malberg now as the the person who's like who owns the license to Mutant, the Cult, to Mutant Chronicles. And to Conan of all things, yeah. as well. Uh, so he's yeah. and his uh, willingness to license these old uh, properties to to young, new game designers has been a, a pivotal uh, ingredient. Yeah. Pivotal ingredient, but it's been pivotal for the Swedish developers now because they could take uh, properties that yeah. were that had a built-in yeah. base and build from that. Yeah. Free League, for example, or Genring yeah. and. Uh, than free league, um, but I, I also would like to 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 link back to what Shannon was talking about, and is that that um, what happened with the, the eighty five version, eighty four eighty five version of Drakrug the Mourner, uh, was also that uh, some seminal adventures were released, um, and they the, much like the Enemy Within shaped Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay as a game, uh, there were a bunch of uh, games uh, that, for example, Eric Grundström, who wrote the, the world for for the uh, Forbidden Lands, he wrote the the, um, the Soul for Winter uh, mm -hmm. game uh, adventure the campaign, mm -hmm. basically, and that shaped yeah. a lot of what we expected from yeah. adventures. And that was not looting. That was not going into a dungeon. That was not. There yeah. was a. It was a world building experience, like Shannon was talking about. It's like a world building thing, and also yeah. some of the first adventures for the Drakkar uh, Mona uh, were also more uh, sandboxy, and that mm. shaped uh, me, of course, and also those that mm. came after us. And so that, I think those early adventures were a, a big part of why Swedish games today look like they do yeah uh, I, I i definitely agree with with magnus of course because i'm one of the persons responsible for making it so uh, that had to do with my uh, personal preferences i would say I, I was just i had an academic degree the only one in the swedish business at that time i 
I had a very strong desire to make game worlds that made sense. I had played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. It never made any sense to me. I was often very frustrated by silly world building. Uh, I played a lot of Traveler and it, the, the Galactic Empire did not make much sense to me either. So, so when, when I started developing the, the, the settings in the Swedish style in, in the mid-1980s, I was very keen on that. You're going to make adventures that make sense. Mm -hmm. That is, you have to interact with the society. If you do stupid things, stupid, bad things will come back to you. Uh, and you, and I, I think then I could cooperate with Eric. I remember... <laughs> It was a friend of mine who said, I've been playing with Eric. He has this great adventure. I said, please mail it to me. So I got this kind of uh, binder, plastic binder, typewritten manuscript, like 100 pages typewritten. Started reading like, wow, <laughs> this is out of this world. I had never seen anything like that before. So I went to Frederick and said, we need to do this for Drucker and the Mona. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be big. It was big. So, yeah. So um, we're beginning to build a picture of some of the things that might be um, mm. might be the Swedish style, indicators of Swedish style. Mm. Just before we do that, let's just touch on the more recent history. Um, mm. uh, now, obviously, uh, for me, um, Swedish games uh, arrived on my doorstep at uh, my co-host david's wedding where he said you really got to buy coriolis you got to get in kickstart coriolis it's great i've been playing um <laughs> year zero we, we're going to do this game and then i got it and you know <clears throat> days later we started a podcast pretty much so so i'm i'm not particularly familiar uh, at, i i saw cult arrive in my shop uh, about uh, almost 20 years ago now i'm thinking my, my my local gaming store, but I I didn't pick up on that. When do you when do we think we started seeing Swedish games or company Swedish companies actually producing their games for an English market? Shannon, have you got anything to say on that? Uh, yeah, the uh, big big change for when Swedish games became available for the English market was when Kickstarter got got started, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Basically, we have four publishers right now who are going from the Swedish market to the uh, English market. I guess three now. Uh, Jan Ringen, the Iron Ring. Uh, Simbarum was their first one that they put out uh, to the English market. Uh, Freya Lingen, their first one was Mutant Year Zero. Uh, Riot Minds, their first one was uh, their, their version of Drakarak uh, Dumaner. And uh, the newest one is Helmgast, who put out the fourth edition of Cult, Cult Divinity Lost. Uh, I believe of all of those, the first was Mutant Year Zero. I'd have to double check my year, mm. but I think that's mm. uh, There was, I think, before Mutant Year Zero, uh, our British company, Modifius, uh, licensed or took on the Mutant Chronicles. So I'm a bit vague about that. Um, it's not something I was interested in. Magnus, you, you have something to say? It's uh, it's a it's a dicey question since uh, Target Games uh, did uh, to survive the uh, the the uh, collector game craze collapse that Shannon was talking about earlier. 
they uh, launched an, an initiative in the 1994, I think it was, with the Mutant Chronicles property. Okay. Uh, so, so that was the first major uh, English version game that came out of Sweden. Um, and, and Shannon's got a bit more to say about that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, Magnus is totally right. Um, in uh, 1993, we got two Swedish games I mentioned earlier. These were the first foreign language ones that came out at all in English. One of them was Cult uh, in its first or second edition, depending on what you call it. And the other was Mutant Chronicles. Cult was by Metropolis and Mutant Chronicles was by Heartbringer. So they kind of had some success from about 93 through the 90s, and then Target went out of business in 99, and so all that collapsed. But that, was, okay. that, was, that was certainly the first coming, and then we had like a 10 to 15-year hiatus. Right. Magnus. And uh, that's something that, that I was talking to Nils, who, who's at the Free League. I, I, I said to him once uh, that, that we were talking about the, the Bitter Reach book. I said that I was so impressed by what they were doing. And that was something that uh, uh, me, people like me and Anders would never have been able to do because we were so locked into our way of doing things. We were locked into um, the success of Target Games uh, meant that, uh, that when we thought about uh, games, we thought about uh, print runs of 30,000, 50,000, 40,000. We were, we were talking about big print runs. And the, the what Shannon talked about, the Kickstarter, that, that was not something that, that we, we weren't, we, we had sort of, at least I had sort of put, put role-playing games aside and said, oh, well, that's something that's too expensive to produce uh, and not too many people are, are buying them. Yeah. But then the Free League uh, uh, came and they leveraged uh, Kickstarters enormously successfully. Yeah. Uh, and suddenly they were able to uh, produce games with a limited, uh, for with, with me and Anders' way of looking at it, a limited audience. But but yeah. but they were able to to leverage that into creating extremely successful games and also uh, yeah. build on the old traditional properties that were produced in Sweden. Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree fully here with Magnus. And uh, so there's a thing, um, Magnus. I think you touched on when we were discussing this before this program about quality, and it's definitely a thing that mm. I have experienced with with Free League's work, uh, mm. and, but, but also, also the other companies we've brought into. And I guess it's partly Free League realising that if you can fund these books through Kickstarter, even mm. with a limited print run, you mm. can make them really nice things to hold. Mm. And for me, you know, when I when I first opened Forbidden mm. Lands, mm. um, you know, which is kind of an old school game, and, and they played up to that with old school feeling paper, but with the hardback book, that I really wanted when I first yeah. opened my box of Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't know I wanted it then, but I, I remember feeling kind of disappointed by the sort of pamphlets that, uh, that yeah. Dungeons and Dragons were. And that hardback book was the game in the 80s that I really wanted to have. Yeah, uh, I, I would like to add uh, my, 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 my memories to that because already in the 1980s, we were extremely quality conscious at, at Target Games. We had an art director, Klaus Bandon, sadly has left us, who was a stickler for print runs and uh, artwork. And we hired a very competent young, young illustrator for, for in-house artwork. And 
at that time we were doing only for the Swedish market, but we were having lots of contact with Americans. And we were surprised how shoddily the Americans did their product. I mean, Steve Jackson games, they, they made GURPS modules, which were like illustrated by high school students or whatever, was outright ugly. Iron Crown had enormous problems with legible layout. Mm. And I have no idea why not why, why it was like this. The only one who kept kind of uh, the quality banner reasonably high was, was TSR uh, because they had the money. Um, and I think that that's a part of the Swedish way. We want quality stuff. Yeah, and and uh, I remember as well with uh, Chaosium when they licensed their stuff to Avalon Hill. Yeah, it from uh, you know from a player's experience, quality took a nosedive in yeah. terms of illustration and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, Avalon yeah, Hill. yeah, yeah. Shannon, I'm sure you've got something to say about this. The Avalon Hill issue was rather unfortunate because uh, they started trying to cut costs. They uh, were uh, having one of their cartographers doing their art and. Um, <laughs> It wasn't great. Uh, I find interesting the fact that it, I don't think it's just Sweden that has the high art quality. It's really, at least looking from the American side of the pond, it's, it's a European thing. When I was uh, working at Chaosium in the mid to late 90s, we were doing very pragmatic layouts. They you know, were simple, lots of white space, but we also had licensors in Europe. And uh, one of them, uh, the German licensor, put out some gorgeous uh, versions of uh, the monster books in particular. And the first time Chaosium really got good layouts right around 2000, a few years after, was when they basically imported the layouts from the uh, German translation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it might be kind of a wider quality issue in Europe. Mm -hmm. Certainly one that was surpassing American productions mm -hmm. until the last 10 years or so. Okay, so um, let's see. I'm going to start summarizing uh, the the commonalities of the Swedish RPG then uh, yeah. from what you've said with uh, quality of production and of design and of mm. uh, layout and things like that um, is a marker. Uh, going back, Anders, to what you said, the idea of playing around society mm. and cooperation as opposed to simply plunder and um, uh, mm. murder hobering. Mm. Um, the sandbox as well, and as you mentioned, now yeah. I do remember sandbox adventures quite early on in the D and D world from Judges Guild and and people like mm. that. But um, for me, playing uh, well, seeing Mutant Year Zero and things like that, you guys have really got sandboxing down pat, mm. and. And uh, Magnus, I was about to compliment you on the bit of reach on that regard, but what do you want to say about that? It's interesting you say that because uh, uh, when when I was when you asked me to put together my thoughts about okay, why are you asking this question? And 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 I, 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 wrote, I wrote some things about uh, about this. Uh, I was also thinking of of, of um, nothing that we can say here now is uniquely Swedish. Uh, production values European. Uh, Good artists, they're all over the place. Uh, world building, uh, 
RuneQuest, Greg Stafford, by God, he he sort of, in my world, he invented, he was the first world builder that I was aware of uh, in that kind of way. Uh, uh, but when it comes to Sandbox, uh, the judges skill, they were uh, ahead of us. But I think that what Sweden had or and has now is an intimate sandbox. Uh, Judges Guild had, uh, uh, they had very expansive sandboxes. You had hexes and, and of course that, that's the free league right. as well, but you had huge areas of land. You had huge uh, adventure potential, but you, you had all these tables and everything, but everything was very much larger in America. Of course, everything is larger in America, but in Sweden we had <laughs> the, a sandbox that, that was like uh, 32 pages and, and that, that's that's one of the seminal adventures it's called the dead forest which was like here's a bunch of places that you can go to in any any order and do whatever you like go nuts Shannon. i was uh really struck when i read about simba room for the first time uh, as far as i could tell it was just hey you live in this you know little area of land here and there's this forest behind you which is very scary and so when magnus mentioned these very intimate sandboxes, that's the one that I immediately thought of. That I, I just, I even now I can't imagine something that small and intimate in a US production. And yet it seems very enthralling from what I've read. They built mysteries into it. Yeah. They they really showed how to make that excel. And it really does feel like a unique yeah. element to me. And uh, yeah, uh, you, you, to put it like this, that's the Swedish experience of life. Uh, until the 20th century. We had small communities surrounded by huge forests with bears, wolves, and robbers. Occasionally, we had barbarians coming from the east to burn our cities. So it's kind of, it's a culture issue. It's a deeply ingrained in our way of looking at the world. I, I personally say that if you want to take a look at the, the perfect Draka and the Mourner adventure, you go and take a look at Tolkien's The Hobbit, not Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. but The Hobbit. Because that's so Swedish, it's a dragon. Uh, it's not Sauron. You're 12, 12 dwarfs, uh, one thief, and a, a rather obnoxious wizard, <laughs> and so on. And, and the odds are really, really against you. So Simbarum is in the same vein there, yeah. I would like to, to add to Shannon that, that, that uh, even though the Free League lies close to my heart, of course, and to the Effect podcast, I, I'd like to give a shout out to, to uh, Riot Minds uh, because mm -hmm. they encapsulate what, what Shannon is talking about with Trudvang. Because in, mm -hmm. Trudvang, is a, it's a bleeding forest. And and you can you can and we, see we the, should we should say yeah. maybe for our listeners that Trudvang is the descendant yes, the of Drakkar. Yes. It's, it's a campaign world that, yeah. that was developed for for yeah. a version of of Drakkar the Mourner, but it's right. since become its own game. But but the 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 art style of, of Trudvang and and, and the, the 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 strength of right minds has always been uh, the visuals uh, and the, the way of mm. conveying that this is this is down to earth gritty. This is, and it's extremely, uh, it's, it evokes a, a certain kind of imagination that is more close and more, more intimate uh, and very, very folkloristic 
uh, in its uh, yeah. approach. Mm. Something that I also believe is something that uh, we in Sweden have brought to our games, of course, mm. uh, is that very gritty Swedish folklore, uh, sometimes horrific Swedish folklore. Uh, it, it, it's okay. something. Can I can I put a bid in for Warhammer here? Oh, yes. And this isn't meant to be about the British style, um, but I, I I think we did grit first, didn't we? Yeah, you did. Uh, but what you did was urban grit, right? Yes. Eudorian grit, <laughs> you know, stinking canals, and rats in the sewers. Okay, Magnus. Uh... Um, like I like. Uh, uh... As I mentioned, I, I, I just uh, managed to get get a writing credit for Warner Fans Roleplay, and it's, it's it's a game that that lies close to my heart, and I've I've uh, I've loved everything that Graham Davies have done with the game, has done with the game, and and uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, when I sort of figure out what is the Swedish uh, what is the Swedish game, uh, Warner Fans Roleplay, of course, uh, fulfilled almost all of those. Uh, criteria. Uh, so Warmer Fans Roleplay is sort of a very Swedish game, but uh, without the industrialism uh, and, and the class uh, struggle, mm. uh, that's something that's uniquely British. And I would say, uh, even though I got people saying that was wrong, I would say that the British uh, style is more about humour than the Swedish one. Yes, I would agree with you. I don't think you're wrong. We're not that yeah. much, we're not that funny in Sweden. That, that's what you're saying. Uh, I can also ask the question then uh, for you: uh, Is it Dickens behind the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay? Well, to be honest, I think it's Mrs. Thatcher. Oh, yes. Um, yes. No, no, I'm not, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking. I can agree, yes, but, but, but keep uh, politics yes, out. I mean that urban. The urban yeah. grit and that urban, yeah. every, everybody's Mr. McCorber in, in Game of War. I mean, yeah, you will play. exactly. Uh, so. Yes. And, uh, and we don't have anything like that in Sweden. We don't have that tradition at all. Right. So it wouldn't work here. Something that I would say is that it has felt to me, at least from looking at the outside, that the British uh, role-playing experience, at least the Games Workshop British role-playing experience of the 90s, is an element of the Swedish style at this point, primarily from what happened at the 90s. If you look at uh, Mutant RMYK, Mutant Chronicle, mm. those both feel mm. to me at least very influenced by Warhammer 40K. And if you look at Chronopia, the uh, Drakarak Demoner 4th, 5th edition, I think it was 5th edition, uh, that similarly feels very uh, influenced by Warhammer fantasy. So it feels to me like that kind of came in during the 90s and has now kind of reemerged through the uh, lens of Swedish. So as you said, the urban's gone. It was there in Chronopia, but it's not there anymore. And instead, this kind of dark and gritty style has become naturalized, one might say, in the, the Swedish experience with more interest uh, in small communities, you know, wilderness that sort of thing. And immediately I'm thinking of Versen, of course, where... Yes, there are cities, but generally you travel out of the city to a small community yeah, to yeah. deal with the Versen there. Yeah. Magnus, you wanted to say something? Uh, I just wanted to, to uh, add to what Shannon was talking about, is that, that when, when I wrote Mutant Chronicles, I had uh, three main inspirations. That was uh, Traveller, Cyberpunk, and War My Fans Roleplay. Uh, and when uh, uh, Target Games did Chronopia, 
uh, that was uh, 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 one of the steps towards uh, competing with Games Workshop, uh, creating a, a fancy IP that that was more unique than 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 the run of the mill fantasy uh, games, but also more inspired by Games Workshop. Um, in so far as you should be able to generate miniatures from the game uh, lore. Uh, yeah. uh, so that's that's it's it's a it's perfectly correct by Sh of Shannon to 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 observe that it, a lot of that um, uh, was uh, was infused in the nineties, but it's also interesting to note that uh, when we talk about the Swedish style, I would say that Mutant Chronicles, Cult, and Chronopia are not Swedish style games. They I agree. they were anti-Swedish style games. Mm, mm. And mm. I say that as, as one of the writers for one of the games. And, mm. and, and I worked on the uh, on cult as well. And they were very much an, an approach to try to appeal to Americans. And of course, they or two of them at least, were the first games to try and make it in the American yes. market. Yeah. Mm. So, so not today's... Um, I would say that Yanring and Free League, uh, Riot Minds, they don't as much, they don't say, Mutant Chronicles, that was the most influential game of my uh, time. That's what I want to do now. They, they, they are more like, well, Mutant Chronicles was not what I wanted. So uh, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, mm. so, so, so they're sort of like inspired by it uh, in a roundabout way. But yes. And we've asked a lot of creators about their life in gaming. And of course, they mm. always talk about Jack and mm -hmm. and they talk about the first mutant, mm. uh, but not mutant mm. chronicles, mm. particularly. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it was bad, but no, that no, isn't but... one that's come up in conversation. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. It was. Um, sorry, so, sorry, Matt. It's just but, to say that, that mutant chronicles was, was a lot better received outside of Sweden because of the, uh, it, it sort of supplanted mutant, which was loved. Uh, deeply loved by the Swedish gaming community. And it was uh, sort of like, then, then they changed that into Mutant Chronicles, which meant that uh, much like, uh, if, if it had a, had another name, much like Dungeons Dragons 4, if that didn't, didn't have the Dungeons Dragons name, it would be uh, considered a better game. Uh, mm. And so so also with the Mutant Chronicles game. But, but that, that, that's uh, history. What I'd like to know more about is what, what Shannon is seeing now, uh, looking and Matt as well, because you are creating the Effect podcast about Swedish games. Why are you doing that? And Shannon, what are you seeing with Swedish games that makes it, why are we winning? We, why are Free League winning Ennies? Why, why are people talking about Trudbang? It was the most anticipated game on N-World two years ago. Uh, why is that happening? Do you want to go first, sure. Shannon? Uh, what I see are deeply detailed and evocative worlds <clears throat> that are uh, supported by mechanics that either get out of the way or introduce player agency in ways that classic ones didn't. Um, and I see beautiful artwork and our beautiful layout. Um, and also I see a very uh, unique Swedish setting uh, that as you said, is largely based in folklore, uh, but even Mutant Year Zero is a very Swedish setting. And so it's a very, I, I think that adds to the evocativeness, the fact that, you know, there's 
you know, people have created settings for uh, ages that are different from our own, you know, Greyhawk, Blackmore and up. Uh, here's a setting, settings that have been created from, you know, Swedish uh, folklore that probably looks just as uh, alien and magical to people outside. So I, I think the uh, integration of uh, folklore, myth and history of Sweden has introduced to it too. But I, I'd mainly say evocative, beautiful, good mechanic. Uh, it's, if that's the Swedish style, then the Swedish style in general seems to have been very high quality role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'd agree there on quality. Um, as to why we started the podcast, partly I think partly it was because uh, we we'd fallen in love with Coriolis very quickly. I think almost before we'd started playing it, I there aren't many rule books that I've read from beginning to end in one go. I not not one sitting, but. Um, but you know, starting at page one and carrying on to page three hundred and whatever, um, I've done that with Robin Law's original Feng Shui, and I did it with Coriolis, and it kept me gripped. Everything else, I've been flicking that. I'd probably read it all in the end at some point in some order. But these are ones that I read uh, almost like a novel, and uh, so that that was interesting for me. But I think one of the key reasons why we started a podcast is because nobody was talking about it, and you know. I, Let's face it, on, on, on Roll20, we're still in or free league games if you bundle them all together. Even with Alien, I think, you know, they're 2% of the games that are played on Roll20. You know, uh, uh, you, you're going to correct me there, Shannon. No, I wasn't going to correct you, but you're talking about Coriolis there reminded me of one other element that I feel is a, a Swedish style. They're very literary. Um, w- when Martin uh, Lil just uh, talked about... Uh, Coriolis, he said, well, I want to start out by writing a role-playing game that was about a clash of cultures. Uh, and he wrote mm-hmm. Simbarum, he said, uh, here it wasn't quite a clash of cultures, it was man versus nature. These are very literary mm-hmm. themes. Uh, I don't entirely know if they extend to other games, if all of the designers are thinking like that, but I think it ties in right there with the uh, nature and stuff oh. that is another thing that makes these games interesting. Anders, you'll have an insight. Yeah, on that. and uh, you're right. Not all, not all designers work like that. But this is a tradition I was a part of establishing a long time. Uh, Eric Grandstrom is mm-hmm. a, a, I would say, fine arts mm-hmm. writer, uh, and uh, for instance, and, and I, I think it's interesting about Eric, of course, that um, so much of the the yeah. setting of Svavel Winter, and I'm ruining yeah. the pronunciation. Uh, is so based in the Swedish language yeah. that he's it's, gone on to write novels about it, but we've not seen yeah. those novels translated because mm. they must be uh, really difficult to translate. Yeah. So and and then when we then then we had this heritage of, of J.R. Tolkien. I mean, and uh, the the long ships, Franske Bengtsson. Those two authors have kind of inspired a lot of hardcore game designers in how to describe settings mm. magnus uh it's interesting because i think that that a lot of what the swedish style is today is uh as you say shannon and anders uh, is uh it's a, sort of like a literary uh tradition uh that comes a lot from uh 
Svavelvinter, which was very well pronounced, damn it. Um, but Svavelvinter <laughs> was a very uh, literary uh, creation. Uh, well, I'm mangling the language here, but it 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 it, it had literary ambitions and and has been turned into to to proper good novels, not role playing novels, but proper good novels. Uh, me myself, I'm I'm sort of like a reaction to that. I I write more in the Hollywood style of of uh, action uh, scenes and, and and more more in your face, more. I wouldn't say Mark Ball, but uh, cyberpunk, um, uh, and I, Right Mind comes from that vein as well. Is that yeah. they they focus much more on the visuals and and the and the in your face uh, thing with the, this. Yeah. This is cool, okay. But how does it work? We don't care. Yeah. This is cool. Uh, yeah. So so there are those those two different kind of of uh, uh, styles in Sweden. I, I would like to, to add another. I, I, I agree with Magnus. Uh, there's a British uh, writer, Brian Stableford. Mm-hmm. Who, who, uh, yeah. And uh, his, his novels have never been translated into Swedish, but they have been influential because a lot of Swedish in the 1970s and the 1980s, they sold reasonably well here in Sweden. And I, I was inspired by Stableford, and I can see that other writers have read Stableford and think in his on his terms, like, yeah, we are very, very small people, and the universe is huge and nasty, and let's survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think, you know, we, we, we could, I'm sure, talk about this for another couple of hours, but uh, yeah. we've got to draw this to a conclusion. And I think our conclusion is... Yes, there is a Swedish style. No one element of it is necessarily uniquely Swedish, mm. but that that combination of uh, the intimacy, mm. the literary nature, the, mm. the, the cooperation, mm. all of that goes into it. Mm. Magnus, mm. you got anything? I actually, also add something that I'm I'm not really sure of, but I've been thinking about, and I would say that uh, something that that is unique for not unique, of course, but something that is very obvious in in the success uh, stories of Swedish games are they are very business savvy. They are very good business people. They run not very large companies, of course, yet. Free League is is not very big, but they they have a big print. They have a big footprint. Right months, that's two guys doing something that's fun for them, but they're very business savvy. They know what to do. They know how to put together a product. They know how to market it. Helmgast as well. So business savvy is, is a part of the success of Swedish games. Mm. Uh, okay. I, will, I would say. Shannon. Yeah, I agree with that. And it feels to me like it came out of the uh, uh, very influential nature of role-playing in the 80s because everyone was playing it in the 80s and so anyone in business now uh, played it then and so you know you mentioned riot minds and theater bergquist uh, he ran paradox interactive which is a huge company at this point and so that was something that really struck me when looking at the swedish companies most american companies are run by creators who don't want to have to do the business stuff and Mm. why they are constantly going out of business. Uh, I mm. know any number of American companies that had their offices locked, that had the IRS coming after them, that had 
sheriffs blocking entrance. Uh, and over in Sweden, you have people who grew up and became businessmen, entrepreneurs, professionals, and mm. running the companies. Yes. And it strikes me that uh, Chaosium uh, was rescued after its dreadful, um, well, really successful, but also dreadfully uh, overwhelming Kickstarter uh, by people who you know were fans of the game, but were bu successful businessmen and accountants and people like that as well. So they're following on from the Swedes there. Shannon. Yeah, I, I think uh, I have recorded three or four times that Chaosium almost went out of business. One of the times <laughs> I was working there, but uh, yeah, that was one of the things I was going to say that uh, in the modern day, we are starting to see some more uh, adept business people. I mean, the people running Chaosium now, uh, Rick Mainz, uh, Michael O'Brien, Jeff Richard, they are very successful uh, businessmen, uh, lawyers, uh, and they are running the company better than it's ever been run before. Not that that's saying much, but probably better <laughs> than most role-playing companies are being run. It's a big change for American companies. Mm. So, yes, I just want to finish then with one question. Um, we, we can see all these things are contributing to the Swedish style. Where does it go from here? And particularly, is it in danger of being subsumed? Is it going to become a global style and then get diluted and, and we won't be able to talk of the Swedish style at some point in the future? I, uh, I, I'm a bit afraid of the success of, of Free League, for example. And I think that for them to take another step as a business and as a publisher, they would have to go for the American market. Uh, and maybe the... the that that would sort of dilute the the, the Swedishness because they would that maybe they would have to uh, uh, they would have to to uh, sort of capture another audience and and there are people talking about Swedish gamers are talking about the, uh, the being afraid of being left behind by the success of Free League. That's not something that I worry about, but that's something that, that fans are talking about. Is that well, and if they are so successful, what will become of us? That that we we we've seen them, we've supported them f since they were small, uh, and now that they are Alien is the third best selling in the Hobby Channel. Oh. Fourth was it fourth? Okay, fourth for ICV two, uh, fourth uh, after Dun uh, yes, after Dungeons Dragons, Pathfinder, Shadowrun, King mm. Alien. Uh, so what mm -hmm. will happen then? Uh, but uh, as I said, uh, like I said in the beginning, uh, what, what I do as well is, is that I, I have a, a, a forum platform or I'm a part of running a forum platform for Swedish uh, independent um, creators uh, and also fans, of course. Uh, but So I'm, I'm sure that should Free League just say, oh, Swedish market, which I don't think they will do, but Swedish market, well, screw them. Uh, we're after the big money. Uh, and Helmgus would say the same. Someone else would come along. Someone mm. else would publish. Someone else would pick up the torch. Someone else would produce a fabulous looking game with good graphics, good art, good writing, yeah. good world building. The, the, it's, the Swedish style is, is not, tied to these three or four companies it's 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 something yeah. that's tied to lots and lots of independent designers mm. and and i would like to to add that what you see from abroad it's like freely but if you take a look at the swedish market there is a, a, a undergrowth of what's called 
it's like in the jungle. You yes, have the layers. The, the tears, Free, yeah. yeah, exactly. There are small Free, trees growing underneath. Exactly. The <laughs> so <clears throat> there are plenty of small trees which are, are you can't see from abroad. So, and uh, we are in that sense rather opportunistic. So if we see an opening, we'll move up. So I'm not the least worried. We'll stick around. Swedish culture has been around for a thousand years. We know how we want to do things and we'll keep on doing it our way. And people will play war games. And uh, even if they only play them in Swedish, they will keep on playing our games and having a good time. Brilliant. And let's just, uh, from, from the historian of games, uh, have you seen other, other movements uh, rise to prominence and then crash against the shores of the American gaming system? Or do you think the Swedish style has a chance of survival, Shannon? Oh, I think uh, the biggest um, other thing you can look at is uh, Warhammer. And Warhammer was a very uniquely British uh, uh, look at fancy role-playing. Its urban, urban design had not really been done before. And, you know, 30-some years on, 35 years on, it still feels like it has its unique style. Um, mm. The alternative that you could look at, there are a number of games that have tried to get into the English language market. Uh, Germany's The Dark Eye is probably the one that I think of the most because it's done it a few times. Uh, Chaosium published Nephilim. Uh, Steve Jackson Games had their own. Um, the difference between those is they just didn't make it into the market. And so I think you have these two alternatives. Either they fail to penetrate the English language market just because they don't necessarily speak to those, or they make it in and they retain their own unique style. And I think as long as Warhammer can keep it, uh, even through American publishers like Green Ronin, I don't see that uh, the Swedish games are going to have much problem. So um, I, I guess we should end on that positive note then and um and i think it is great that I, I like to think that some of those qualities of the swedish style are going to infect a new generation of game designers right around the globe and so we'll have it reflected back at us a little bit like there's always been crossover between as you say the american to the british to the swedish style it's all good it's all good thank you very much all three of you for um for this uh, enlightening discussion which i think is going to going to go down really well with our listeners um thank you very much first thank of all too. shannon Applecline, thank you very much for your uh, your history and your overview of the whole global system uh and thank you so much anders for joining us at late notice because it was one of our listeners and patrons who said if you're talking about this you've got to have anders on the show <laughs> Um, so thanks for joining us and uh, no problem I love these kind of stuff doing uh, this kind of stuff we'll have you back again when, when, yeah, you, when you keep gladly. starting RuneQuest maybe in, in Swedish we'll, we'll get you back on the yeah, show for that that sounds great um, and Magnus uh, our old friend uh, thank you for asking the question in the first place uh, it's been a brilliant discussion for our listeners thanks very much for listening to us I hope it's been as illuminating for you as uh, it has been for me uh, but um, it'll be goodbye from Dave in his absence. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Magnus. And uh, may the icons bless your adventures. Goodbye from Anders. And may the icons bless your adventures. And goodbye from Shannon. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast. Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music 
Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Magnus, you had a final point you wanted to say? I had a final point, but it's actually something that uh, should be... Uh, I'm actually being a bit uh, fussy here, but it's uh, something we didn't mention uh, was that uh, we also have one of the, the world's leading children's authors in Sweden, Astrid Lindgren. And she wrote mm. The Brothers Lionheart, and she wrote Me, mm. You, Me, Me. I don't know what that's in English. Uh, she wrote Me, You, Me, you, you. She, Ronja, the robber's daughter. Uh, three mm. semi-fantasy books that were hugely influential on my generation. Mm. Uh, it's, and, and, and they they are so ingrained in the Swedish culture that, that yeah. even though it's not as if we say, well, I read... Uh, uh, when we were young, we wouldn't say, well, I read Astrid Lindgren because that was a children's author, but she's been very, very influential yeah. in uh, forming our psyche and, and friendship, uh, siblinghood, uh, doing the right thing, uh, yeah. conquering your own inner demons and a very small and intimate scale. Uh, yeah, and so, so, I agree fully with Magnus, and I could add that she created memes before there were memes, <laughs> like things that all Swedish people know, like by heart, like all power to Tengil, uh, our lib liberator, and it, which is a, the bad guy in Brothers Lionheart. You, you, you uh, foreigners would probably know her uh, from creating Pippi Longstocking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and talking of, I, I, I now have to, um, one of the great um, Swedish language, although Finnish mm. by birth, uh, creators that influenced my childhood. And actually, I'm suddenly realizing, yes, has all the same yes. features as Swedish games. It's Tove yes. Jansson yeah. And, yeah. and the Moomins and their mm. intimate adventures. Yeah. Um, and communal. Yeah. Well, uh, where even the thief is a good guy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, plenty. Of we, we we could go on for another couple of hours. Yeah. We have to draw this to a close. Um, mm -hmm. So 